This is the More Than Work podcast, where we talk all about how to gain more satisfaction in your job. It's possible to enjoy your life and your work, because business is personal. Hey, More Than Workers, the great sandemic is upon us. I know we've talked about this in the past. We did a whole episode on this, on the great sandemic, because we knew that you as listeners wanted another demic word. Diana, are you looking forward to another demic word? Are you looking for more demic words in your life? Yeah, uh, pandemic, endemic, epidemic, sandemic, just, you know, all the ends of the world sounding things. That was great. That was impressive that you came up with four demic words. Thank you. That was a lot. Yeah. It'd be, be funny if there was somebody's name that was demic or emic or something. I was trying to think of somebody's name that you could say, Joe Demic, you know, or something. I do like know that. somebody with that last name, actually. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I do too. I wonder if we know the same person, but they're probably not like hugely famous. That everybody would know on here. So if you're listening, we love you, Mr. And Mrs. Demick, but we're not using your name. <laughs> I guess we just did. Anyways. Hey, I'll get back on track. So here's what's happening in Sam's Demick idea is we literally did not make enough workers 20 years ago. If you have more questions about that, you can reach out and ask us why we say 20 years to make a worker, but it takes about 20 years. Some of you with teenagers know it takes a little bit longer than that sometimes. But the idea is that we literally, the line of the number of jobs available versus the line of number of people looking for jobs have crossed each other for the first time in a long time. So there are actually not enough people for the jobs that are open. Uh, and a lot of that is because boomers are retiring at a tremendous rate. So about 10,000 boomers per day are retiring and will retire every day from now until 2030. So these are stats that we've shared before. But what we want to talk a little bit today is what are all these companies going to do with all these people leaving? People are leaving key positions, they're leaving top positions, they're leaving management positions. There is a lot of knowledge that is walking out of your organizations right now. And unfortunately, what we see is the most common strategy for dealing with that is to not to. To not to deal with it at all is just to say, okay, when the person leaves, that's got all this knowledge and experience and this we will have to figure it out. And a lot of times it's done in a very humble kind of way. It's done by people saying, well, I think my people are great and they'll figure this stuff out, but it's not a deliberate process. And it leaves a lot of companies and cultures in chaos. So today we're going to talk about succession planning. Now, some of you who are a frontline employee, maybe listening to this thing, like, why does this impact me? Because we're going to talk a little bit too about why is it important for you to help other people be more successful in your career so that when you get to the point where you're ready to move on or you want to move up to someplace, you don't become irreplaceable. Because if you want to get promoted, one of the tricks to doing that is don't become irreplaceable in your existing job. So we're going to talk a little bit about that too. So with us, as always, is our expert team. We've got Bethany Taft, who almost set fire to the office today. Bethany, how are you doing today? First, we're in the clear. There's no more smoke. Nothing's melting. We're fine. It's okay. Yeah. It was almost like the Ryan Howard uh, burrito story. If you watch the office when he, he put a burrito in the office and in the, it, with a metal wrapper in the, in the microwave and Perfect. yeah, it was yeah almost I almost like melted. That. I almost melted my plastic coffee cup on a kind of like a hot plate thing that Diana gave me for Christmas. It was a dumb idea. So that's my bad. So be, be listening for that future episode of why not to use plastic cups on hot plates. That'll be, that'll be a future episode with, with Bethany. We also have with us Mary Ling. Mary, how are you doing today? Doing very well. Thank you. Have you set fire to anything today? Nope, but I hid under a table because there was a lot of loud noises happening. 
There were, yeah, we've got an office downtown and there were some strange things happening and Mary dove under the table, which we have down in our bunker. That's how I was trained in life, right? When it's yeah. like, sounds like an earthquake, you get under the table. You get under the table. That's right. Exactly right. That table that you got under did survive a fire. So full circle, guys, full circle. That is, that is true. That was somebody's dining room table in a home that burned down and that table was left and it looks amazing. It is a great table. Yeah. So there you go. And also thanks Craigslist for the availability of that table, which is great. Oh, and then we had a random thing. I don't know. This isn't about the table, but then we had a random thing where we were talking. Some, one of our clients came by the office and went downstairs on a tour and it was their table. It was their that table happened. that they that sold on Craigslist. Happen. They recognized the table because it's a very yeah. unique table. You didn't know it was you though. They didn't they know that we had bought it. Yeah. Oh, wow. Because somebody, it was somebody that used to be on our team, bought it on Craigslist and then brought it in and they just didn't make all the connections. So they got reunited with their table. They're like, this is a great table. We're like, I know it is a great table. I uh, think so, they wanted it back. And I was like, no, that I love that table. No, you cannot have that table back. Said Diana, Sorry. Diana Royalty, who's also joining us here. And that's Diana's Hi. voice. We're doing this Hi. so you all know who's talking at different times because we've gotten feedback that you, we need to know who's talking. And I think I got everybody. Is that everybody that I get? Every, oh, wait, Matt. It's all the important people. Matt Griswold. Matt Griswold's been traveling. Matt, where'd you just come back from? You've been traveling. You've been on the road on the speaker tour? Orlando, Florida. Wow. Orlando, Florida. Beautiful, sunny Florida. Right up until about 5 p.m. on the day that I was supposed to fly out at 526. (laughs) Grounded for three hours. Don't get me started. You know, Don, you talked about, uh, has Mary said anything on fire today? We're about to set fire on this podcast getting feedback from all over the country. When we go to travel, this is one of the cool things. It seems like there's people at these events that will approach us and say, Hey, I listen to your podcast. I really enjoy it. Not so much the table talk or, you know, those types of, but they really enjoy the content. Actually, I think that's tongue in cheek. They do enjoy the table talk. They enjoy kind of our dynamic that we have. I think this is what's unique about us. And just if I can take an aside really quickly, I think what's unique about this podcast that we have is we are five people working for the same company, but our approach to some of these different topics is very different. Like we're, we're trying to go in the same direction, but our approach of how we get there is different. And I think that's unique. We're not all saying the same things because this is the company stance, so to speak. Like we have the, the freedom and flexibility to be able to approach it maybe a little bit differently according to our personalities or maybe our takes, uh, even though we know we're ultimately where we're trying to go or where we're trying to drive. And sometimes we disagree on, on the approach uh, as well. And I think that is a, a breath of fresh air for a lot of people that are listening to these, uh, to these podcasts too. So if you have been with us for a while, I feel like I just need to give a blanket shout out. We appreciate you. All those people that, that approach us and say, man, I love it. I think the content is great. I love, you know, I'm giving it to my team so they can listen to it. We appreciate you. Thanks for, thanks for doing that. Invite others, tell people, bring them along for the ride. Today, we're going to talk about succession planning, right? And, you know, we can make or break the case for succession planning pretty pretty simply. And before we get into those things, Don, you touched on something that I thought was, was impactful as these, you said lots of impactful things. That sounded like we said one thing that I really appreciated. That wasn't true. You said lots of things that I appreciated, but I went on volume, Matt. That's what I do is I just say a lot of things. And then somebody's like, I really like what you said. And I'm like, which, which thing? Because I said a lot of things. I'm not sure. Yeah, the one thing. The one thing about the sandemic, uh, you know, with baby boomers retiring to 10,000 per day, 10,000 per day. And a lot of times, because we are in the environment we are in now where I just need people, 
We're just looking at that body leaving, but that body as they leave are taking with them. Don, you pointed out the knowledge that is also walking out of the room. Not only the knowledge, the tenure that is walking out of the room, not only the tenure, but the loyalty that is also walking out of that room. In most cases, I understand this is a blanket statement, not 100%, but you are not just having to replace the body. There are other things that you are now losing as a result of that. Don, you told the story earlier how somebody had left an organization and they didn't have a really good grasp on the, the the amount of things that that person did. And it might've been one of those things might not have been make or break the bottom line for the success of the organization, but it could have been as simple as replacing the toilet paper, right? Like you had yeah. shared that story. That's a, that's a real story. So when I was, I can, I can share the organization because I'm not sharing any organizational secrets here, but when I was at 3M, there was a guy in the maintenance department who had been there for forever, for a long time. And he retired and he went and left and he had done a lot of odd jobs around the plant and a lot of things. And I think nobody really was 100% sure all of the things that he did until he left. And honestly, and all the time I was there, if I could list like one person who impacted the facility the most from leaving, it was probably him. And it was all the different things he did. He was the one that replaced the toilet papers, toilet paper in the bathroom which caused some problems that I don't have to explain for everybody, but it caused some issues immediately throughout the facility. He also was the one that like put the napkins and the tables and the break rooms. He was, he did so many different things like that. Everybody really felt it when he left because nobody knew that he was doing that and no one was prepared to take that on when he left, which was, which was too bad. I also thought too, it was kind of sad that while he was there, it was like people couldn't acknowledge the things that he did, like the impact that he had on a day-to-day -day basis because nobody really knew what that was. So everybody really misses yeah. missed that guy. And uh, it, it's he may not have known that before he left. Yeah, we don't need to continue to go down that path. But man, could you imagine being that person is feeling maybe like, okay, I put in some good effort, hope it was appreciated, or maybe they even felt a little undevalued by the time that they left too. So anyway, so how does this pertain to this idea of succession planning? I think working with different types of organizations, they, they view it, they view it differently everywhere from, you know, the common phrase that getting hit by the bus scenario, they're like, who would be next up? Who would be next up? But there's gaps in that scenario. And then I've heard it also relayed as I'm not trying to succession plan for the hit by the bus scenario. I'm, I'm trying to succession plan, like within five years, what does that role look like? If we were hiring somebody in that role five years from now, what type of technology would they need to know? What type of, 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 of processes would be in place? Is that job even necessary five years from now? Don, you know, we talk about with those different roles as well, you know, some of those roles are going to uh, automation where people are going to be having to look for other jobs because their job is, is obsolete. Like, do we need, do we need people? So let's maybe, maybe talk about uh, this idea of succession planning. Uh, what are some fail pass or fail traits maybe of succession planning? Cause that feels like we need to sell folks on the idea that this is important. We should probably take a concerted step back. There's, there's organizations that are going, I'm just trying to get through the day. Like I'm just trying to grind through today. I don't have time to take a step back, but let's really make the case for why this is important and maybe why we would need to take a step back. Who has thoughts maybe on setting the stage for making the case of why succession planning is an important part of your organization. I'll jump in here. So I would say I just had a conversation with somebody the other day and we talk about succession planning a lot with a lot of different with a lot of different clients and the person that I was talking to actually wasn't a client, but somebody within an organization whose boss is having some health concerns and they're, you know, getting older to the point where they're going to, they're going to be done working probably soon, really, whether they would like to or not. Sometimes we don't get the, we don't get to choose that. Um, and so 
for, for her, she's sort of feeling the stress and strain of how do I kind of hold this office together? We don't know what the plan is. We just are trying to function without our leader at this point. So we don't know what's going to happen in the next year or two. And so I think for, for your employees for within an organization, succession plan is incredibly important just so that people aren't worried about their jobs and so that the business can continue to be successful and so many d- different aspects. And so that you as a leader too, kind of know how, how you can kind of gently ease out of your career and make sure that you have the things that you need to be able to retire comfortably as well. So those are a few different reasons that I've seen in in a recent conversation I had. It's interesting, Bethany, because we're working with several organizations that we've heard where they talk about succession planning and the executive team will say, you know, I I really don't want to talk about that because it's going to freak out people because they're going to think that we're going to leave or we're going to quit or whatever, that the future is in jeopardy or whatever that is. But, you know, your story highlights the fact that the employees are talking about it, uh, whether you're in the room or not. Like the question, if you're an executive or you're a business owner uh, is, do you want to be part of that conversation or not? because your employees are talking about it. I'll bet in the case that you just talked about, I'll bet your friend's boss doesn't know that there's conversations and there's concern about that behind the scenes. Yeah, and you know, sometimes I think leaders maybe do have those things planned out or they've thought about it in their head maybe, but they haven't necessarily told anybody else about it. And so sometimes it's just that lack of communication between those two parties too. You know, we're talking about succession planning. It sounds like at even a higher level here too, maybe a managerial level or director level or department head level, or, you know, some, something like that, where leadership is maybe pinpointing in their mind, Bethany, I think you bring up a good point, pinpointing in their mind of who they might have in that role, but they don't necessarily share that with anybody. And, you know, that makes it hard to kind of create buy-in with the rest of the leadership team, whenever it comes time, that that is the person, uh, is the person for that role. Let's maybe talk about timing. Like when is the appropriate time to begin this succession planning. Bethany mentioned that this person might have a decision that's being made for them. Maybe there's some health involved, but when is, you know, that aside, is there a better time than not to be able to start the succession planning process? Like, how would you approach that? I would say that there's, there's not a good time, right? Like now's the good time. If I had to be asked that question, because if you're not only planning for the person who's maybe retiring, but you're planning for the toxic employee that you're going to have the watershed conversation with, you're planning for the frontline employee who maybe needs to make some changes in life and is preparing to leave the position. So um, now is the time to do that. So that way you're prepared for any of those types of situations and you can back up whomever's leaving that organization when it occurs. Yeah, I, I would totally agree with that. I would totally agree with that as well. And you can kind of get, get out in front of it. We'll make a case for why it's important to get out in front of it here soon too. All right. So before we start, you know, taking the conversation about the timing of when to maybe begin this, uh, how about we define it just a little bit more? We've talked about succession planning. Maybe many of you already know what this is, just to make sure foundationally we're on the same page. Let's get a definition for succession planning. How would we define it? And this might be one of those too, where some of us define it uh, maybe just a little bit, a little bit differently. Don made the case of the sandemic where the baby boomers are retiring. And so we need to have kind of a plan in place. Really what I would say, and you guys can add to this, or take away from this. But but what I would say is, is when an organization is focused on succession planning, they're thinking about not only the, play, the players that they have on the field in those positions right now, but they're thinking futuristically too. What if the business changes? What if those people are no longer there? What if I was working with an organization the other day and they were talking about changing their benefits for the good 
of the employees. However, if they did this, because there was a retirement element, it would speed up the retirement process. And like 25% of the people working there would be able to retire if they made this, if they made this change. And all of a sudden it's like, whoa, how do we fill that gap? See, I think with succession planning for some organizations, it's like, no, 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 we're fully staffed. We're doing great. Don't rock the boat, right? But for other organizations, they're going, I know we're doing great now. How do I make sure we're doing great 10 years from now? And they keep this forward planning process going. Would you guys add to that? Absolutely. Yeah. I think that the mistake that we think I hear that a lot of organizations make is that they think a succession plan means that the next person up is defined and ready to go. The problem with that is that that's so defined and the world changes so quickly. And I've seen organizations do really complex succession planning where they define, okay, I want to know if, if Joe's going to leave their job, who's next up, who's going to take the next job. And I get that's why you want to know that. But then if you define all of that, then you go, okay, Joe left, who's next up. Okay. It's, it's Nancy, but Nancy's left the company six months ago and nobody went back and updated this. Oh crud. Now the whole process is all broken. So it's not necessarily defining who's going to take over the job. I think it's more about the succession planning is more about getting ready to know who's going to take over the job. So I think there's two parts to that. The first part is a defined process for making the change. So it's clear about how are we going to make that change in the organization. So if this manager leaves, here's who's going to make the decision to replace that manager. Or if a key employee leaves, here's how we're going to go about the process for making that change. Or a lot of times the biggest ones are, in that case, is the process for how do you select a new CEO or a new owner of a company? What, are, what is that going to look like? What's the process for determining who's going to take over? Uh, so it's defining that process. So not, so not necessarily the who's, but the, what the process is going to be. The second part is you want to do what you can as far ahead as you can to make sure you have really good candidates for that position. And I say candidates, not, not for sure people are going to get plugged into that position, but candidates. So you want to get, you want to use your time to get people ready for the position. So ideally part of that process is if you're a manager in a department, for example, and you're thinking about succession planning, your boss should be having conversations with you to say, if we moved you, promoted you, moved you to a different department, or you left the company, who on your team could potentially take your place? And so you're having conversations ahead of time. So then you could say, well, I think Margaret could potentially take my place, for example. Then the conversation is, could Margaret, is she ready to do that today? Or are there things that Margaret's not ready for? And it's like, well, Margaret doesn't understand this part of the process or Margaret doesn't have a lot of project experience or whatever it is. Then what you can do from that conversation is you can start to give Margaret the experience that she needs before she needs it. You can put her into leadership positions. You can put her into opportunities to lead projects. You can put her into training, whatever the things are that you need so that you have a list of people ideally ready to take on that position so that when you trigger the process in step one, then you have a good list of good qualified internal candidates in step two. That way you don't have to do the Hail Mary where you go outside the organization, which sometimes is a good thing to do, but you don't have to go and depend, I'm going to find this rock star from the outside. This way you're really trying to do this from within because that's where that, that best protects your culture and also helps your people feel like there's a path. Yeah, I'm glad that you mentioned that, Don, because I was thinking about how we sometimes we do have to have these conversations, though, where they are looking outside of an organization to sort of fill in these leadership roles. 
which I think I agree with you. It's, it's ideal to be able to do internally. And sometimes depending on when that person came into that leadership role and how long they've had to develop that team, it might not be possible. And so being able to also think about how am I sort of thinking and mentoring and developing people even outside my organization that I've connected with and that I see a lot of potential in so that because I think they would be great for this organization in the future too but you have to have multiple people because if you put all of your eggs in one basket chances are if they're a really talented person they're probably getting a lot of people you know giving them different offers and stuff too so just something to keep in mind with that too yeah and we've seen that happen saying the succession plan was frank Mm -hmm. you know frank's going to come in and take over that job and then frank leaves or frank doesn't want it and you haven't really, and a lot of times we even see that and Frank didn't even know, right? And you, you maybe even offered it to Frank and maybe Frank's still there and Frank's like, I didn't want that job or worse. Frank doesn't want the job, but takes it anyway. And then jumps in and doesn't do a good job. And now you really don't have a plan for it. it it's being deliberate so that you can do the things ahead of time that you can do to get yourself ready for that position, but it's not making the final decision. You bring up a good point too, Don, where if Frank leaves and Frank was part of the succession plan for somebody else's role, you really should take a look at your succession plan maybe annually just to see if there's any gaps and fill in those gaps. That way you're preparing and developing those employees to take those next steps. I just wanted to throw that in there. Yeah, I like one of the simple ways that we talk to people about this. And Mary, we were just talking to an organization about this recently is the idea that you can integrate that as part of like your check-in process. So if you're talking to somebody, you know, managers should be meeting with their employees on a regular basis. Why not incorporate into that discussion of who's ready to take on your job, especially for your key employees, the people that are irreplaceable or would be very hard to replace. Who do you think, are you getting anybody else ready? Are we getting anybody else ready? Are we thinking about why, who could take on that position? And then that's constantly happening. You know, you're at least doing it every quarter. You're doing it quarterly if you do that, but you're just checking in. And then you ask the questions too, are they ready for it? And then you can say, what are you doing to get ready for that? That helping that person get ready for it. Yeah. So there should be no aha moments, right? There should be no shock uh, whenever that that comes to play. You guys said a lot of things that I had bullet pointed out, but we just kind of ran right through those things. And so I, I think in order for, for us to be able to, I think there's, there's, an, there's a case to be made for, this is why we want to do it early. You know, a lot of the content that we just talked about came from the manager's perspective of who do we need to have? Okay, as the leader, let me talk to their manager. Who do you think that you have? And we, I think those are fairly common steps. And we, but, but sometimes what's not as uncommon is the employee's perspective. And Don, you briefly touched on it, but it's a very real thing. Like what if they didn't want it in the first place? You know, what mechanism do you all have in place right now to be able to talk to the employee if they are a part of that potential succession plan? And maybe you see all the potential in the world. I, this is very, very common. I see all the potential in the world in this person, but they just won't take the reins. Like they just won't take the step. Maybe they don't want what it is that you're selling. Maybe they don't want that role or maybe they want that role, but in a different department, like they want to, to uh, transfer to, to a different, to a different department department. Uh, maybe there's legitimate reasons why they don't want it. Maybe they haven't seen that job displayed very well and it doesn't look very appealing. So there might be some opportunities to be able to co-create if you were in a role like that. What, how would you do it differently? Like, what are some things that you might bring to the table? I think that's a great conversation to be able to have with them, especially you're mutually trying to figure out, is this a good fit uh, or not? And I think so many times what we see is those conversations don't happen. First of all, no one's thinking about that. They're just assuming, I don't want to think about what would happen if you left, because it's not a pleasant idea. 
And then second of all, if you do have somebody in mind, I think a lot of times we see that person never finds out that they're in, they're in mind for that position. Hey, I'm looking at you for this. And it's really a lost opportunity. If I go to somebody and I say, Hey, I'm thinking about you for this role. And I think we're kind of steering towards that. And I'm not promising you anything, but that's, I'm starting to think about you for this. And here's the things that I'm concerned about or the things that I want to hear what your feedback is. Do you think you're ready for it? That opens up a great dialogue and that gives people a bigger career path to think about. I think it's a missed opportunity. Don't you want to have that conversation at that point too, instead of when you need to fill that role right now? When they need to right now, that's a better, way better time to have that conversation ahead of time to get their perspective. Yeah. You don't know what you don't know. Right. So, I mean, sometimes we've seen employees leave because they thought that they were not going to get a job and the management was talking about them getting the job, but they never told the employee. And we've seen that happen many times where the employee leaves and they never find out, wow, you would have been in this position. That actually kind of happened to me when I left my second job that I had when after I left or like while I was out going out the door, I was told, well, you were probably about six months away, maybe from taking over a management position in that. And they hadn't really told me that like, or a timeline for that. I had some indication, but it probably wouldn't have changed my decision on that case, but it would have given them a bigger, a better chance of like, okay, here's the vision for this. Yeah. That type of stuff also helps employees feel valued. They feel like they're a part of the pu- piece of the puzzle. They, they feel like they have vision to their own career. They have some ownership over their own career too. Like those that's engaging the engaged, right? Yeah. How, and how do we do, I think we, we kind of address this as a problem earlier in our conversation today, but how do leaders tactfully talk about succession planning within an organization without saying, okay, I've already had these conversations with these five people internally. And so whenever the time comes, I'll I'll let you know, it's going to be one of them. So how do, how do leaders, how do leaders handle that? Well, I, I, you know, my, my input here, and of course, everybody can, can add to this, but you know, we have that check-in process, which I think is an awesome tool for managers to be able to have ongoing dialogue with their employees. The check-in process, as far as we're concerned, is not the place for the manager to sit down and tell, the, tell them what you think of them. That is not that place. It is the, the opportunity to be able to co-create some different objectives, find out what it is, the, you know, where it is that you're trying to go. What, what types of uh, trainings do you need? What types of certifications do you need? Uh, what's your vision? Do you feel like you're well-placed or what do you have aspirations of doing something different? This also helps leaders or I should say this also helps managers manage their employees at a higher level, because now I understand maybe they do have a little buy-in or, or desire or drive to do one thing or another. And if I'm a good manager, then I take that. And then now I can really get the ball rolling with some of those things too. So it's just creating the space for that conversation to have them, but it's all about the employee and their development. And if we do those right within an organization, the conversation goes down to the employee, but also that boss is getting one somewhere. And so that conversation also should work its way back up through the organization too. And I think the public discussion is focused on the how, not the who. So I think about like GE when they did their, they did a famous transition years ago and it was when Jack Welch was the CEO and he famously said, okay, I'm going to be leaving at this time and we're going to do this massive CEO almost competition. It was a little Hunger Games-ish and it was like, we're going to have these candidates and the winner is going to become the CEO and the losers have to leave the company. Literally did that. And what happened is it was really public. The Hunger Games scenario, that's sort of what I'm like envisioning of like, how do you avoid that? Because I could see that totally happening in lots of organizations. Yeah. 
I think the mistake was when you lay out like who the candidates are, then you get teams that form, right? The people will rally around who's the person. Well, I like that one. I don't like this one. I want da 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 da. I think the key is you talk about the process that you're going to follow, and you just be you work through that and say, okay, whatever the wherever this happens. Which, by the way, we're talking about succession planning in control. There's also out of control succession planning. There's the proverbial bus. You know, somebody gets hit by the bus. We've worked with a couple companies, uh, actually more than. I can think of three off the top of my head where the owner died kind of suddenly in an accident or something, or got sick very suddenly and suddenly was out. Uh, so you have to kind of think about that stuff ahead of time. And the companies that made successful transitions did it because they had a well-defined process and everyone knew what that process was. So once that, if you, if you buy into the process, then you're going to buy into whatever person comes out of the process and you'll feel better about it. So I think it's the focus on the how, not the who. I think, you know, if we were making the case as well for beginning early and starting to identify some of those behind the closed doors conversations, whether it's through the check-in process, you know, kind of define what people's passions are, see what their drive is to want to be able to do it and see, you know, how, how hungry they are for something like that. You know, we, we talked about maybe we've identified the person, we tell them they don't want anything to do with it. There's also a scenario, and I think we briefly touched on it, where we've identified the person, we give it to them, and they're not good. I think sometimes we, they translate similar to, you know, how we talk about management and leadership development, uh, being able to tap good employees on the shoulder, surely that will translate into a good uh, manager. And it doesn't, doesn't necessarily do that. So maybe talk about that for a moment. How do we approach that? Yeah, I think that's what, that's why Don was saying the process is so important, right? It's not necessarily about the person themselves. It's about what knowledge does anybody need to take over this job? What things will they need to know? How do we make sure they get the education and training they need? What things can we anticipate in the future and get training on that now? Like it is so much more about the knowing anticipation and process and training than it is about the individual. Yeah, and that process has to include things like the job description for the person that's being replaced. A lot of times a mistake that's made in succession planning processes is you think about replacing the individual person that's leaving and you try to look for a person who's a clone of the person who's leaving. That's a big mistake because you're not going to find that. We don't have that technology yet. We're five years away from that. We're working on it in the basement. We don't have it together yet. So until we get the cloning technology, right, it's where Mary's at. It's where the table, it's what happens on the table. <laughs> but the until we get that, you have to lay out a job description of what is the expectations for that role. It's a good time to make sure that those are really, really clear so that when you hire the role, then you can bring the person in and then you can look at the job description versus the person that you hired. And obviously they should check the key boxes, but there may be some modifications you'll make at the end of the day. That process should also include who's going to be making those decisions. What's that process going to look like? It should also include, the, especially for key top positions, what's the transition period going to look like? There are a lot of mistakes that get made from transition CEOs. You're, 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 you can't, at some point you say, okay, this person's taking over your job and you announce the time when they're leaving, you become kind of a lame duck CEO. How long, who's making what decisions, especially if there's overlap? Should there be overlap? You know, what does the new CEO come in and do during that time or the new manager? There, there's things like that, that you just really have to think out and map out that whole process. And that helps to avoid conflict. 
Yeah, I, I like that thought. And like Barry said earlier, too, once you've established the process, maybe revisit that process once a year to make sure that we're still on track and we're, we're holding integrity to the process that we've that we've created. And this is an ongoing thing. Even this is maybe the hardest time, hardest for a, for an owner to be able to sit back and do this when it feels like maybe you're fully staffed or you're, everything's going well. But it's a that's a great time uh, to be able to take a step back and, and maybe think about that a little deeper. Yeah. And I love what Don was saying about the clone, right? I, I think the idea of secession planning, sometimes people think I'm going to go and do this job and I'm going to do it just like the person ahead of me or whatever. And I think, and I, I also think the, the manager and leader is thinking that too, right? Like they're going to do it just like me and I'm going to train them to do it just like me. And I think it's important to remember that things can be done differently and still be done well. And so when you're designing this process and you're thinking through the training and you're thinking through what this person will need, think about like, can they do it differently and still do it well? Because you're not going to find someone that does it exactly the same. I just don't think that's real. That's a good point. I like that too. I was thinking we were talking about this conversation earlier and I don't want to jump too far ahead, but I know we talked about how this relates to something called executive quicksand, which I think Don, Don, can you like, explain what that is and how it relates to this? Yeah, so executive quicksand is something we've talked a lot about as a consultant, watching a lot of executives work. And what we've noticed is that a lot of executives, and by the way, this does apply to you frontline folks too, because you're you're in the early stages of what happens here. Uh, But it's the idea that you don't have control of your own time. We see a lot of executives who are double booked, triple booked throughout the day, just floating around, just trying to fight fires all day. They don't have any control of their time. And it's disastrous for an organization. And the reason why is because you as an executive in your role are the only people sometimes that can make strategic decisions that impact the rest of the organization. And if you're flying from meeting to meeting and you can't take a step back to support the team and think about the direction and think strategically and develop your people, then no one else is going to be able to do that. And it's happening at a high level and it causes waves of problems to the organization. So this idea is that you have to, to, to get into that spot is because you take on too much stuff for yourself and you're not allowing other people to learn what it is that you do. Um, I think it's natural for people, especially early on in jobs. And I've talked to people in front lines who say this, it's like, I'm going to hoard the things that I know so that I become indispensable to the company. And then I'm not going to share a lot of the stuff that I know with other people around me because I want to become indispensable to the company. Well, that's what leads to this executive quicksand is that mindset of nobody else can do this job as well as I can. The problem with that is that other people can do parts of your job better than you can. And that's, that is a, you're going to run into a, a, a wall. Even if you get promoted and you move all the way up into the company, you're going to be miserable. It's going to be really tough. You, you, it's, it's executive quicksand. You're stuck. You made it, but you, you haven't, you don't want to be, you, it's like, we've made it, we've done it. And then you look around and you're just a slave to the job all day long. You know, just to add to that too, uh, Don, you know, I was thinking about like the traits of successful uh, succession planning, like the traits of successful session, succession planning easy for me to say. And we were talking about, okay, so do it early for assurance, make sure that they're properly trained. But delegation I had is another one of those traits of success of, of succession planning. Like we have to test the waters and what you're talking about. Sometimes we make it to the pinnacle. We've climbed the mountaintop. We have reached the top. I have the title. Now I need to own all of these things. And you're doing a disservice to you. And you're doing a disservice to those other people that are also trying to learn these things. And it's not a bad thing if they do. If, if we have multiple people able to do these things, 
first of all, we're a much better team. Second of all, sec- second of all, now I'm I'm building up this, I don't know, the, the, this group of employees who also know how to do more things, which makes us more efficient. Your higher performers want that. You're not troubling them by tasking them with learning a different lane or project managing or taking some of those things off of your plate, so to speak. Delegation is a super powerful tool, not only for time management, but also for engagement with your employees, which helps lends itself to, to a successful succession planning. Yeah, if you're a manager and you're working with a set of employees, as Matt said, you're trying to figure out how to develop them. One way you can think about it is I got to delegate the tasks that I have on my plate to give it to them because I'm trying to think about myself. If you think about it in terms of succession planning, you're thinking who's going to take over my job. And you could kind of think of it like I'm trying before I'm buying, right? I'm going to give the person responsibility under a controlled environment where even if they fail, I can still kind of control that failure and help them and coach them along. And and they'll learn from that and do it in a spot where it's not their total job. Uh, so you give you give people opportunities. So I think everybody inside of a company who has employees should be thinking about who's next up, who's going to replace me someday. That really is a good management mindset to be in because it helps you to think about development in terms of employees. And then if you're an employee, you need to think about what's most valuable to your company. Is it the person who can do a lot of different things really, really well? Or is it the person that can help nurture a team around them to do a lot of the things really, really well? And the good companies recognize how much more powerful the second one is than the first one and really look for that. Now, having said that, some of you might write in or send us something later and say like, my company doesn't. My company wants me to know all the things and doesn't care if I help other people. And if I help other people around me become awesome, they're going to get promoted over me. And that's, this is a, you know, that kind of a culture. Well, maybe you're in the wrong place. You know, maybe you're working for the wrong company. So that that's, we talk about alignment a lot. Uh, Sometimes employees have to make those decisions too, and say, this is not the healthy environment that I need to be in where I can be as successful as possible. Can I ask one more employee question since we went that way and then we'll move to wrap up here? I think we've covered the topic pretty well, but if I'm an employee listening to this right now and it's like, gosh, I love the idea of the check-in. Gosh, I love the idea of being a part of a succession plan. That's what I want too. Nobody's asking me that question. Does the employee have any opportunity to be able to kind of raise a flag in this scenario and say, hey, I think I might like to promote later. Uh, you know, how, do, how does an employee go about doing that? I think it comes up a lot in the check-in process. I mean, I think that's where the opportunity is to raise your hand. And I think that's part of the reason you have a check-in process. You know, the check-in process, when we talk about it, is a quarterly meeting between the manager and an employee where you are just checking in. You're not, you're not, now sometimes managers will say, well, I check in with my employees all the time. I don't mean like, how was your, how was your weekend kind of check-in? It should be discussions like, tell me about where you want to go in your career. Tell me about what your aspirations are. Tell me about what goals are you setting for yourself? Tell me how things are going. Do you feel like you're moving forward in that? The idea is so that if the employee says, I've always wanted your job, or I've always wanted this other job over here, I've always wanted to learn this, that that's the place where they tell you that. So many times managers get frustrated or they avoid those conversations because they don't know what their employees are going to tell them. They say, I don't know. We talk all the time. They're not going to tell me that. Those conversations are for the moments for them to tell you the things that you don't know they're going to tell you yet. So you're going into the meeting. This is uncomfortable. You're going into the meeting, not knowing what they're going to say, but that's the moment that you're creating for your employees to raise their hand to say, I would like your job. Yeah. I think the art is for the employee, how you ask that question. And so making sure that you're not coming in with any assumptions about how you're going to develop into that organization, but just voicing like, here are things that I would like to do. I feel really excited about this. I'm really passionate about this area. Are there opportunities for me to continue to grow here? And if there are like, 
could, could you, could you involve me in some of those things? Or could you help mentor me in some of these things or coach me through these opportunities? So I think it's, I think it's, there's an art to that too, of like not coming in like guns blazing, like, Hey, I want your job someday, by the way. <laughs> so yeah, how much longer are you going to be around? I'm just, I'm just curious. We're all, we're all, we're all wanting to know. How's your health? You feeling good? You, you feeling feel good? <laughs> I think that's one thing, but I, but I think there's a lot of weight in what you said, Don, because it, and so I do a lot of coaching with, with clients that we have. And I realized in a lot of the conversations that we have had up to this point, it was, okay, we, we're talking a lot about your job right now and the things that you're going through right now and the things you're learning right now. And all of that's good and helpful. But I, I wondered where is, where does he want to go from here? Like, what is his future like aspirations? Does he have any, or is he just really focused on the now? But I realized I had never asked him that question. And so the last time we talked, I just asked that question and he did. He was like, well, actually I would like to do this and this and this. And I think I could see this is sort of the next step for me. And I'm like, that's really great. Are you having those conversations with your manager? And he's like, yes, I have had those. I've voiced those concerns. They're bringing me in on these you know, different projects to help me develop into that. And that's really great. So often your people probably have some ideas. And if you don't know what those are, you just need to ask them. I'm betting there's some managers who are going to hear this and go like, I don't want you to start thinking about your future because your future may not include us. I bet there's some, because I've talked to some managers who say that, like, I, I know that I should be rooting for the employee to go where they want to, but if they want to go do something completely different, like what's that look like? And I, I guess I'd argue that point of saying the employee is already thinking that it's not like you're making them think that. I would it's, argue the point and say, wouldn't you rather know that now? Yeah. If I know yeah. that now, now you can play him. That's a win-win, right? Wouldn't you rather know that now if they're planning to leave? Or are you hoping they just, you know, shoot you an email and say, today was my last day? Like that, I would way rather know now, right? Yeah, because then you can make your case for what, how does your company and how do you play into that role? And even if it is them leaving the company, you're still ahead. Okay. I would also add just one thing really quickly to that conversation. I think sometimes as a manager, a developer of people, you can cast, you can help to throw a vision out for your employee that maybe they weren't thinking about and help them start thinking about that. We were working with a manufacturing company and we saw a supervisor had a conversation with an employee and says, you know, I could see you having my job someday and just kind of threw that out there. And the employee talked about like, I had never considered that until they said that. And then I started thinking about that. Do I want that? Is that something cool? And then they started thinking, yeah, I do kind of want that. So sometimes it's just casting a little bit of a vision for, for each other helps, helps cast that a little bit. All right, let's uh, maybe go around one more time. What's your final tip here on maybe avoiding the executive quicksand or uh, around the idea of succession planning? You can go from the manager level, owner level, employee level, wherever you'd like to start. Who's going first? I'll go first. If you're in a manager or executive or owner level, don't be afraid to start planting seeds now with people. I think have start having those conversations, figuring out, just saying, if you see somebody who you think is a high potential person who you think could be really good in your role, don't be afraid to start kind of saying that. Again, to, I think Don said it earlier, not you're not promising anything, but just saying, I think you could be really good at this position eventually. Here are some opportunities that I'd like to, to help you in um, so that you're ready for that. Or does that sound appealing? And I just see what people say. And I think, I think that's the biggest, the biggest first step that you can take. So don't be afraid to do that. Awesome. Thanks, Bethany. And we've heard examples too, from organizations where that conversation happened. And I can think of a few just off the top of my head too, but where that conversation happened and that employee 
even got better. Like they flipped some sort of a switch because now they had somebody pouring into them and believing them. And now I mean, that might be a whole nother podcast, but that conversation is powerful. Create the space to have that conversation. Who's next? I'll go. I think we touched on it for just like a very small second, but as an employee, don't become irreplaceable because that's too stressful for you. That means you're not going to be promoted. That's really hard to take care of in the long run. So like, don't become irreplaceable, help others learn your job, help others learn what you do. Delegate. If you can share the wealth a little bit, the knowledge is power, share it and don't become irreplaceable. Cause I think that's when you limit your own self is when you're stuck in the one role because you're irreplaceable there. I love it. Thank you, Diana. And that also tends to build those us versus them mentality. Like you alienate yourself, even on a higher level, like on a team collaboration, you know, culture level too. There's different ramifications for that. Thanks. Who else? So I think I'm going to go with something really, really simple. Um, a lot of people have heard succession planning. We've talked about having conversations with the employees, but like, how do you document that? And so you can document that as simply as using an Excel spreadsheet that lists out the positions that you have available, who's in them now, and maybe like a one, two, three underneath of that of who might be your three next um, employees who might take that position, or you might hire from the outside. So pretty simple document that you can create. Your HR might have a document that they, um, that they use or a process that they use, but if they don't, just make yourself an Excel spreadsheet and go that route. I love it, Mary. And just another tool or a resource for, for managers to be able to stay on top of that process that we've been, we've been talking about, establishing the process, but then establish your own set of tools to be able to make sure that you have the ability to maintain that process. Just maybe an organizational tip uh, as well. Thanks. I guess I would add that I like that the, the documentation. I, if you don't do this in your company now, I would start at the top. And I would list out what's the process for how you're going to do that for the person who is in charge, the top person, the CEO, the president, whatever that is. And then I would start working my, my way down, on, not on who, but the how. How, are you, how would you make those changes? What would the transition look like? All of those different things. And then the second thing that I would do is then incorporate those into your check-in process. So you're having conversations then from the top down, everybody through. So if the board's meeting with the CEO, they're having conversations of who's next up every time that they talk. Who's next up? Who do, who's on your list now? Have it changed? Are you still getting them ready? You talked about getting them learning, helping them learn these things. Are they learning those things? Uh, if you incorporate those two simple things in, in place, then you'll be you'll you'll change the mindset. It won't just make you ready for the transition. That's a culture driver because you're getting people to think a little bit bigger picture, and you're developing people all up and down your whole organization. I love it. I love it. Thank you. And you touched on something that I wanted to talk about uh, there too, is maybe one of my quick tips, but you know, whenever you, you, you have somebody in mind, make sure that you let other people know. And I would say even, I would even use the word advocate. Like you are an advocate for your people. If I'm a manager within the organization, I'm an advocate for my team at those meetings that they all don't have a seat around the table for. Gosh, how much do you love as an employee to have your manager advocating for you on your behalf, whether it's for your team, whether it's for you, they recognize something in you, be an advocate for your people uh, and bring their, you know, bring those people forward who others might not be thinking about. Everybody kind of thinks about their own lane or their own area. Make sure that you're being an advocate. And then I would also say train. So advocate for them. Once they get in the role, really have that process. I know we keep going back to that word process, but really have something in place that says, and once they're in that role, this is how we are going to successfully onboard and train and acclimate them to that role as well as advocate, 
and train. We hope that you enjoyed this topic, succession planning. Man, it feels like we covered it. This one, this one, we had lots to say evidently about this because this one went, went for a little bit. Thanks for sticking with us till the end of that one. Uh, if you have other uh, feedback or other comments, you know, feel free to reach out to us to be able to give us any feedback, topics, comments, clarifying questions. Diana, how do they get a hold of us? Oh my gosh, there's so many ways you can find yeah. us at peoplecentered.com. You can email us at more than work at peopleccg.com. We're on all the social media platforms. Our handles are usually something like at peoplecg or at peoplecentric. So find us on all of those. Yeah, and and really do reach out. We answer questions. We like hearing from you. We want to help and we enjoy doing it. So definitely reach out. Yeah, you see us when we're out traveling around, whether it's to your organization, if we're working with you all and, you know, as a, as a team, as a, as a, as a uh, business, feel free to come up to us. If you see us at an event, we're speaking, you're not bothering us. We love the interaction. So feel free to come interact with us, ask us some questions. We're always happy to, happy to kind of, you know, play stump the consultant in real life there too. Feel free to throw, throw some things at us. So till next time, I hope you enjoyed it. Share us with your friends. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the More Than Work podcast. Join us next time, and in the meantime, lead well.